Look, snow in Texas. <laughs> Isn't that great? Come on, put your hands again for all of those. <laughs> I just want to share just a little bit. Look at this in Luke chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee and out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the decree was were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us not go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. This is... The Christmas story. This is why we're here this afternoon. If you would draw your attention to the screen here, because I think this is the picture. When we think of Christmas, this tends to be the picture that most of us have burned in our memory. I mean, look at it. I mean, here you have a Mary and Joseph looking lovingly at the baby Jesus, and you have this light shining down, the star of Bethlehem shining on them. And Jesus, of course, is smiling and look, looking as cute as a button. And then you have the shepherds all looking dashing in their shepherd costumes. And the animals are all standing and sitting there, all groomed and sitting there quietly and politely. And the stable, of course, has been swept and it looks and, and smells so refreshing. I think this, is, this tends to be how we think of and our memory and the picture that we have of the Christmas story. And I think it's very similar to kind of how we live our lives, especially in this social media and this Pinterest-focused culture that we live in. You know what I'm talking about? Where when you're going to post something on social media or you're going to post something and you're going to tweet about it or you're going to put it on Instagram or Facebook, you, you take all of these selfies and you, you might take 20 of them before you finally find the right one that doesn't have the double chin and the, 
the dark eyes and, and before you actually post it and show it to the world. We were doing it this morning as a family. We went in this last week, we had our family pictures taken, something that we hadn't had for a bunch of years. Five years ago, actually, we tried to do it. And I can't remember why, but five years ago, um, something happened and I couldn't be there. So the rest of the family took the family photos and I was left out of that family photo. One of them, Courtney, photoshopped my face in the middle of it just so I have a little bit of presence. But our kids were all back and so we decided that we were going to do a family photo. And so we got yesterday all of the you know, hundreds of photos that they take, and now we have the choice, the decision of trying to figure out which ones we're going to choose. And it's kind of like going to the eye doctor, you know what I'm talking about, where you look at one and two, and one or two, one or two, one or three, one or three, three or four, and you make your choices, and, and so that's what we were doing here this morning, trying to figure out the ones that, were, that looked the best and that we'd actually would be willing to show other people with. And what's so funny is that once we finally make our decisions, we're going to, the, the photographer will take those and then she's going to edit them as well. And she's going to take out all the blemishes and the, the zits and, the, and all the, the facial scars and baggy eyes and all those types of things. We're hoping that she can take off a little bit of poundage around the middle section too. And then those are the pictures that we're going to show the world. We're going to show you this is who our family is. And I just think it's so funny because this is, this is our culture. And I think the social media and this Pinterest-focused fo culture creates these expectations, especially around the Christmas time. Because the expectation is for your Christmas turkey to look like this. This is what it's supposed to look like. But the reality is that our Christmas turkey tends to look like this. And then the expectation is for your Christmas tree to look like this. But the reality is that your Christmas tree, it looks like this. And then there's the expectation for your family at Christmas time to look like this. But in reality, uh, your family looks like this. And then there's the expectation that when the kids receive their Christmas presents, they look like this. But in reality, they actually look like this. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know that there's a huge difference between this idyllic image that we create in our heads and then project and advertise to the world and the reality that we actually live in? How many of you know there's a huge difference there? I think a lot of times we do that with Christmas. And so I want you to try to put yourselves in the real shoes of Mary and Joseph and what they were going through. Because at Christmas time, like I said, we tend to focus on kind of these idyllic settings that we've created in our head, this idyllic stable that he was born in, and then the whole story of Christmas Day where the angels appear and the shepherds come. But I want you to think about this way. Because what about the day before? What about Christmas Eve? It's 4.52 p.m. on Christmas Eve. So I want you to think about what was going on with Mary and Joseph on this day, at this time, the day before the miraculous. Look again at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass... In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, and everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Let me set the stage here for you, because this is during the Roman Empire. And during the Roman Empire, censuses were mandated every 14 years for the purpose of taxation. And so Joseph, being from the lineage of David and his hometown being in Bethlehem, he was required to go back to his hometown of Bethlehem, even though he lived in Nazareth. And because he was betrothed to Mary, Mary had to go with him, even though she was nine months pregnant. Now, ladies, I want you to try to imagine this. Can you imagine being nine months pregnant and having to take this journey? Let me see a show of hands. How many ladies have been pregnant before? Let me see your hands. Obviously, I have never. But I, my, my wife, Courtney, she's had four kids and watching her go through pregnancy um, not that I'm an expert by any means, but what I saw from man's perspective, by the way, is that in that ninth month, it looked like she was about ready to pop, <laughs> you know, and the impatience of any day now. It has to be today, and it can't be soon enough. It's kind of this love-hate relationship. I want this baby out, but yet when this baby comes out, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And watching that happen, and those of you who have been pregnant before, especially in that nine month, there's no place that you can get that's comfortable. You're always uncomfortable. You're not sleeping very well, and that baby is pushing on every single organ, especially your lungs, so it's difficult to breathe, and it's pushing in on your bladder, so every 15 minutes, you got to go pee. Come on, ladies. You know what I'm talking about? And so think about this from Mary's perspective, ladies, because now in this condition, you have to make this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which was 80 miles away. 80 miles away. Now, for us, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Many of you travel that every single day on your commutes. But think about this. They didn't have a cushy car to take this ride in. All they had was a donkey and their two good feet. And so, ladies, can you imagine having to travel 80 miles on the back of a donkey when you're nine months pregnant? I can't even fathom it. I grew up with horses, and, and one of the things I hated to do was riding bareback. It's so uncomfortable, and so I cannot imagine being nine months pregnant and having to travel 80 miles on the back of a donkey. Probably would have taken about five days, traveling about 15 miles each of those days. And so as, you grab, as, you're, as you're traveling towards Bethlehem, the closer and closer you get to Bethlehem, the crowds are getting, getting um, thicker, and there's more people being, beginning on the roads, and you're probably going to be one of the last ones there, and you're the slow ones because now the contractions are starting to take place. Now you're starting to get a lot of pain, and so there's more of a stop and go, stop and go between these contractions. And, and so when you finally reach Bethlehem, you're exhausted you're exhausted after these five days of traveling. And so all you can think about, all you can dream about and hope about is that you want this nice warm bath and a comfy bed and a home-cooked meal because this baby is coming at any time. But when they get there, they start going to all the different hotel rooms and they go to the first one and it's all full. They go to the second one, and it's all full. And so you pull out your list that you made before time, and you pull out all the five-star hotels that you decide, I can, I can go live in one, I can stay in one of these. Because of course, if you're nine months pregnant, that's part of your condition. <laughs> Come on, ladies, you know what I'm talking about? 
If I know that I'm going, to get, I'm going to have a baby not where I am comfortable, then I want to make sure that it's as comfortable as home. So give me a five-star hotel. And so they have their list of five-star hotels, and they go to every single one of them, and they're all full. You finally relent and say, okay, well, we can go to the four-star hotels. They're still pretty good. Let's check out the four-star hotels, but they're full as well. Not only the four-star, but the three-star hotels are full, and then the two-star hotels are full. With tears in your eyes, you finally consent that you'll go to a one-star hotel because this baby is coming any moment, and I've got to have a place. Come on, ladies. You know what I'm talking about? I've got to have a place for this baby to come. But then every single one of these one-star hotels are full. And so what are you going to do? The contractions are getting stronger. The pain is increasing. Every single one of these one-star hotels are full as well. Finally, at the last one-star hotel, the innkeeper takes pity on you and says, I don't have any rooms, but I do have a stable. I have a barn where I keep the animals. If that will work for you, you're welcome to stay there. Now think about that. This is not at all what you were expecting. This was no, nowhere close to what you thought this was going to be. And so now all of a sudden the questions and the doubts start filling your mind. For Joseph, you're probably thinking, if only I had more money, if only I had more power, if only I had more influence, we wouldn't have to stay in this stinking stable. I'm such a failure, I can't even provide for my little family. And by the way, did the angel really say that Mary was carrying the Son of God? Maybe this was just something that I made up in my head to convince myself that Mary hadn't cheated on me. Maybe this is God's way of punishing us. For Mary, she must have been thinking, did the angel really say I'm God's chosen one? Is this really God's Son that I'm carrying? Is this the way it's supposed to be? Look where I am. Surely, if this was God's son, he would have provided better accommodations for us. Why isn't God doing something more spectacular? Think about what was going on here, because there was absolutely nothing miraculous about this day. This day was completely ordinary painfully ordinary. Think about that. The greatest God thing that's ever happened in all history was completely and totally ordinary. And you know, I think that's how our lives go as well. Because our lives are filled with the ordinary. But you know, it's this Christmas Eve story that makes me look at my ordinary in a completely different light. Because even though I might not see God's hand in my ordinary, he is still with me. Just like he was with Mary and Joseph, God is still with me. And if I'll let him, he'll begin to do the extraordinary in my life. See, folks, your life has this extraordinary potential that's clothed in very ordinary life. 
That's what your life is. Your life has extraordinary potential that's clothed in very ordinary life. And so what may look on the surface just as ordinary, where you get up in the morning and you take a shower and you have breakfast and you go to work and you fight through the traffic on Highway 71 and you, you come back home and you, you eat dinner and you go back to bed all to start over again. What may look like just the ordinary, when you apply faith and surrender to your ordinary, then all of a sudden it opens the door for God to do in and through you the extraordinary. And I think that's what's so incredible about this Christmas Eve story, because for Mary and Joseph, there was absolutely nothing miraculous about this day. There was nothing miraculous about this day. It was tomorrow where the miracle was going to happen, but there was nothing there was nothing going on. This day was completely ordinary, painfully ordinary, and totally disappointing. Not at all what they expected, but God was getting ready to do something extraordinary the next day because God was with them, and his promises were true. And this baby that Mary was carrying, carrying was a bigger thing than they could have ever imagined. And you know what? The same is true for you and me. God is with you. Think about that. God is actually with you. This is the miracle of Christmas. God coming to us. He is Emmanuel. That word means God with us. That God steps into your ordinariness. He steps into the messiness of your day, and he is there. The psalmist says, where can I go, God, from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. If I go across the seas, you are there. That's who God is. God is with you. He's with you. Even in the ordinariness of your day, he's with you, and his promises are true for you as well. And your life has so much more purpose than you could ever really imagine. And so for you today, this day may seem completely ordinary. Maybe even for some of you, excruciatingly ordinary. But I'm telling you something, if you'll add faith and surrender to your ordinary, it will open the door for God to do the extraordinary in you, just like he did with Mary and Joseph. And so my prayer for you this Christmas Eve is that you will believe, that you will have faith this Christmas in this Jesus who was born and lived and who died for you, this Jesus who came to make it possible for you to have this perfect relationship with God, the one who created you, the one who loves you more than you can even ever imagine, and the one who has a purpose for your life. And my prayer is that you'll believe it as well as surrender, that you'll surrender to his ways because he did create you, and he loves you as his child, and he has an amazing plan for your life. And so I want to encourage you, even on this day, to look at Christmas Eve in perspective of what's going on in your life, knowing that even in the ordinary, God is with you, that he'll meet you right where you are. And if you will, 
If you'll allow him, if you'll add surrender and faith to your ordinary, God will do the extraordinary. Some of you feel like you're just hanging on. Remember, today, Christmas Eve, was ordinary. Tomorrow, Christmas Day, that's the miracle. I want to pray with you here. So if you would close your eyes. And I want you to just pray this after. I want to just kind of lead you here, if you would. Just say this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father. Say it out loud. Say, Heavenly Father. Thank you for being patient with me. I've always known that you were there. But sometimes I lose perspective of your faithfulness to me. Thank you for seeking me, even when I ignore you. Today I realize that you've been trying to get my attention. Even in the ordinary, you've been trying to get my attention. And I admit that I've been focusing on my plan for life, not yours. And I realize that you made me for a purpose. And so today, on this Christmas Eve, I want to open up my life to you. God, replace my confusion with your peace. And would you please replace my uncertainty about the future with your gift of eternal life. I want to discover and fulfill the purpose that you have for me. And I want to cooperate with your plan for my life. And I want to learn to trust you more, especially in the ordinary. In Jesus' name, amen. As we end here this afternoon, we're going to sing the, really the traditional Christmas Eve song, Silent Night. And, and as we do that, I love this part of Christmas Eve tradition because there's so much symbolism in it. Because we're going to see in a very visual way the impact that light has in our life. Because when you add just a little bit of God's light into your life, all of a sudden it reshapes your ordinary. And it will give you peace, a new vision, a new purpose, a new hope. And it will refocus your life. So if you would, why don't you stand to your feet and let's sing this together and we'll pass the light around. Why don't you raise your candle high and maybe turn around. Why don't you see each other? And I just love this moment. And it's one of these moments I always want to keep in my head because there's so much to this. Because when you allow God's light to do something in you, it's something that then spreads. And maybe even here this evening, it's something that you need for yourself. And so I want to encourage you here on this Christmas Eve to make room for God in your life. And then to let what God does in you spread to your community and to your family and to your neighborhood and wherever God would take you. Father, we thank you for this evening that we can celebrate what you've done, the gift of Jesus coming into our life. And Lord, I pray that this would be a pivotal moment 
that would begin to reshape and shift things that are going on in our life. As we enter into 2018, that there would be a shift that would take place. The God, that you would use even today, tonight, in the ordinariness of our lives to set us up for the extraordinary of what you want to do in our families, in our neighborhoods, our workplace, here in the hill country, this whole Austin region. God, that your light would penetrate our hearts and that we would make room for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would extinguish your your flame here. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for coming. God bless you. We'll see you in 2018.